Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 469. And what a guest I've got for you this week. This guy was previously on, I can't remember now, we talk about it in the episode, maybe 2015, maybe 2014. But it's Paddy Considine, one of my favourite guests and one of my favourite actors and one of my favourite people. And this was such a nice chat. Since that first episode, we've kept in touch on and off and there's been there's been ups and downs and big changes in both of our lives. And Paddy might not realise how crucial he's been to some of them changes in mine, or he may not have until we had this conversation because I was... I was, I was insistent on letting him know. If this is your first time tuning in, I should mention, we've had a load of great guests. Go and check out the multiple Stephen Graham episodes, the multiple Florence Pugh episodes, Vicky McClure, Kathy Burke we talk about in this episode. Had loads of amazing people on. So, yeah, plenty for you to go and, ch- and check out there. If you're a fan of the podcast then you can support by buying merch over at speechdevelopmentrecords.com. Me and Paddy talk a bit about music and the music industry, so that's relevant there. Um, there's patreon.com forward slash pip where you can get loads of exclusive info, or not loads actually, a tiny minuscule amount of exclusive info, barely any, but it's only a dollar a month, so <laughs> so be grateful, all right? And twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pipio is where I'm rambling on all the damn time. Um, yeah, we talk about Paddy's huge new show in this episode. So I want to get straight into it because we talk about a lot. Man, we fit a lot into an hour. Honestly, this is going to fly by. Forever grateful for Pad- to Paddy for all, he- all of his work and just f- for the human that he is. So... Let's get into it. This is episode 469 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Paddy Considine. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. This piece of fiction is the intro to Distraction Pieces. You got it? Yeah. Right, we're good. We're good. I'm I'm joined today by Paddy Considine. How are you, sir? I'm all right, Pip. I'm not too bad, mate. I'm feeling quite well, actually. Yeah, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. It's kind of the standard now when anyone catches up because it's been a mad few years, isn't it? And we'll yeah. get into it. Work-wise, it's been a mad few years for you as well. But is everything good? Are you holding it all together okay? Are you feeling in a good place in yourself? Yeah, I am, you know. I turned a massive corner recently and uh you know, it's it's been a really, really good good time. I just feel well mentally and, you know, physically and that and yeah, I just feel like uh I don't know, I just uh, might have grown up a little bit, Pip, you know, and uh you know, just, just sort of uh let a few things loose that were that have been bothering me for way too long. You know, I just feel a bit lighter and uh yeah. you know, so it's good. It's so weird, isn't it, when these kind of breakthrough moments happen? I've I've had a few things like that where there's been things that have been a massive part of my life or a massive weight on my mental health, and then suddenly they're just not. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? All of a sudden, it's not even like I don't feel I've. There's been particular things I've done the work or got over this. It's just at a certain point I've gone. Oh, that doesn't actually matter, does it? 
Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's a light, a life as such, you know? Yeah. And also, like, you know, looking at time ago, I haven't got the time to carry this around with me anymore, yeah. you know? Yeah. I just, it's stopping me from, from, being a, a man, I suppose, you know, yeah. in a way, it's it's uh, forty eight years old. You know, I can't uh, I can't look down the, the path now and be carrying shit that I've been had with me since I was a kid or a teenager. It's just time to sort of uh, move on from it all, really. Hundred percent. And you and you mentioned feeling good physically as well. Are you looking well, mate? Are you are you exercising? Like, what's going on? Have you is, is has that been part of your kind of breakthrough at all? Yeah, I think yeah. I've always sort of exercised, but I think my diet was the biggest <laughs> thing yeah. from time to time. You know, mate, tell me about it. The the diet is the thing that when you're a bit younger, it looks after itself, and yeah. then when you start to get to those forties or whatever, you start going, I can't keep doing this, can I? Yeah. I can't keep. <laughs> It's not quite shifting like it used to. Yeah. Yeah. So I know it well. You, you gotta be on top of all that stuff. Well, yeah, I just think there's a you know, we can look after ourselves a bit better now. It's not like people who are nearly fifty, like I suppose you or I am, I'm forty nine in a few weeks' time. Mm. Um dad's like like my father, people of their generation, that they, they looked a lot older than we did, you know. Yeah. I think yeah. We learned to look after ourselves a little bit better, and the generation before as well. Like it, it, it blows my mind that my dad is the same age as my granddad was, and it's like yeah. it doesn't look that doesn't like my granddad felt like an old man. My dad yeah. just feels like he's a bit older, but it's weird, isn't it? How yeah, yeah, we're getting better at looking after ourselves, I guess. I think so. I think so. And things are changing all the time, aren't they? Even with psychology and things like yeah. that, you know, it's all changing. So It really yeah. is. Well, I mean, speaking of time passing, last time I had you on was April 2015. God. So it's a long time ago, wasn't it? Yeah. It's one of the early days, and a lot's gone on since then that, that, that I want to talk about. More than we'll have time to, I'm sure, but I want to talk about Peaky Blinders. I want to talk about J- Journeyman. I want to talk about The Outsider. I want to talk about The Ferryman. I want to talk about Riding th- the Low, and I probably want to talk a little bit about combat sports, and I, of course, want to talk about your latest project, this huge Game of Thrones prequel, House of Dragon. But before all that, I just want to... Th- Thank you, mate, because I've not really said, but during that podcast and after that podcast, you really gave me a kick up the arse to get into acting, and it's changed my life, mate. It's now it's now just everything I care about, and everything I don't. I, I bumped into you a year or two after the podcast as well, and you is when you were doing the journeyman, I think, and you were were trying to then convince me to get into doing theatre. But one step at a time, mate, one step at a yeah, time. But yeah. yeah, you were really, there was a lot in the podcast that I think I held off for a long time because I'm working class. I had no f- family in the industry and I didn't, I don't know, I didn't feel I was allowed. And our yeah, conversation yeah. and a few of the things that we discussed afterwards, you, you kind of said to me, that just start now. Like you're Not that you're running yeah. out of time, but now's as good a time as any. And uh, yeah, it's it's everything now. So I really yeah. appreciate it, man. Oh, no, Pip, you're welcome, mate. You're welcome. I mean, that's just something, that's one of the things that I turned a corner with lately was this, um, you mentioned their working class and it's such a strange relationship we have to the arts. There's so many yeah. great artists that come from working class, you know, backgrounds, but it's it's a really strange thing that we put these restrictions on ourselves yeah. for some reason and, and that, that it's that these things are only for privileged people. But we look at the amount of working class actors who like Anthony Hopkins, for example, one of the greatest yeah. actors that ever lived, 
Yeah. Um, you know, why do we do that to ourselves? Why do we put ourselves so, so far down the, the, the line? You know, um, I think we rob ourselves of, uh, of opportunities and experiences if we carry that mentality around with us. Yeah. You know, you've just got to, to learn that you, you have a sense of entitlement. You're entitled to anything, no matter where you're from. You're yeah. entitled to read Shakespeare. You're entitled to, to enjoy art and you're entitled to act. And yeah. I think I've learned to stop apologizing about things and, and just gone, you know what, I, whether I'm good in some things and not so good in others, I'm here and I'm doing it. And all I've ever done is try to get better at it. And I'm just doing my absolute best. And, and, yeah. uh, I just don't, from here on out, I just don't want anything to hold me back anymore. I think it's sad that uh, you feel like you have to apologise for your talent in some way. And that somehow comes from that working class mentality that you're not good enough. And it's all just nonsense. Yeah, and I think you're exactly right there. That feeling that you need to apologise for the things that make you special, the things that make you yeah. unique. I've had that a few times I was, I was lucky that my second ever acting gig, really great casting director, um, Amy Hubbard, and they kind of said it was it was a bit of a medieval thing, and I'm there. It happened, it happened in my first and, and second, actually, with Reg Puriscat Edgerton, because they were both medieval because of the way I look. I turned up, again, not knowing what I'm doing, and tried to do the medieval voice that you've seen yeah, in TV yeah. and film all the yeah, time. Yeah, and yeah. they both said... Your voice is fine. And on both of those things, I got feedback that the reason I got the job was because because it was filming in Britain and it was medieval. All the drama school kids were doing your sh- sh- Shakespeare performance voice. And yeah. I was there going, obviously doing their dialogue, but just in my voice. And that's what made me stand out. And in in recent years as well, I've not got to use it yet, but on the scripts I'm working on, I've started writing my st- stammer into it because i've got a stammer and i'm fine with that i've always had it i can i get rid of it for roles but equally it could make me unique in a role because a stammer is uncontrollable and that's what we're looking for that truth it's it's uncontrollable truth so yeah yeah there's been a a lot of things like that in recent years ago no actually i don't need to be apologetic almost that i've got a stammer and I'll, i'll i'll work it out i'll get through it so i know that could be a key part, you know, an exciting part. And it's the same with a working class and all these things. Yeah, you bring yourself to it, you know. And yeah. the only thing that was missing from my game, Pip, I felt was a bit of like schooling. It's almost like we're afraid to say, I'm going to do some training. Well, fighters train. If they don't train, they get their arse handed to them. Yeah. So what's the problem with me wanting to learn how to be a better, better actor? Yeah. And yeah. I was always striving for that because I felt that there was a part of my... my um, game that was missing I, I i had ability i definitely had ability to to be to be other people and behave as other characters but i just felt like there was you know i lacked something technical in yeah. what i was doing you know and and i could see it in my performances and you know eventually i i got a, a role in a play that allowed me to confront those particular demons and also it, it took me to school. I went to school during that period of time. You know, yeah. we ended up doing it in the West End, then on Broadway. And I felt like that was a major thing for me because all of a sudden I felt like I became an actor during that time. I, I thought, okay, all these, I, I felt brave enough to to step out now and, um, you know, just try out new things. And I, I learned technique and repeating that show over and over again, night after night. It was the best exercise I could have had and the best school I could have had. I love that. And there's a beauty in that, isn't there, in 
in the repetition of it in finding the nuance and and honing these things rather than TV and film. It can be prep, 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 prep. It happens, it's over. Yeah. I mean, you're doing all of this to find the character and then it's three weeks of shooting or seven weeks or four months or whatever it is, a certain period of shooting, and then it's over and you're on to the next thing and you kind of can forget what you did almost there. But I'd imagine, yeah, doing a show like that, you're confronting it every night and you're you're knowing what's not working and what is working and what what your weaknesses are yeah you and you've got to you've got to go out that stage and tell that story like it's the first time you've ever told it because there's there are people there experiencing it for the first time and you've just got to go learning that technique of uh of just going out and telling the story every night was something as well that blew my mind because I had a chip on my shoulder. It was me versus them. I had something to prove in that place. Like I'm going to show these fuckers what I can do. Uh, you know, yeah. I'm I'm going to this is I'm going to go and take it all on that stage. And then when I was doing Broadway, I was just coming down the stairs one night and I had this revelation. And it was just this thing lifted off and it's when all you got to do is tell the story. And I just went, ugh. And it's like, there's no us and them. There's no you in the audience and yeah. fucking, all you got to do is tell the story, Paddy. Yeah. And I like, I, that was to me, that was a massive moment because it took a weight off my shoulders. And I feel that from that point onwards, about three quarters of the way through that run, I think I finally understood <laughs> what it meant to be an actor. It's like, you just got to tell the fucking story. Yeah. You haven't got to, you know, you haven't got to rake over your, the, 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 the coals of your past and yeah. dredge up shite, you know, you just just go and tell the story. Those things are all there. Yeah. And and that technique, I, I was a guy acting on film who just hated doing take after take. You know, yeah. I think, oh, if you haven't got it in the first three, it's a, you know, then it, it's a load of bollocks, you know. Yeah. The magic's gone. Learning, having to do take after take, on, in particular on House of the Dragon as well, kind of enjoyed it after doing theatre. Yeah. You know, doing the same thing over and over again. So I was always finding new things every time I performed the scene. So, and it's your job to make it fresh, and it's your job to. to the repetition is a part of the art of it. If yeah. you're in a band, if Guns and Roses are doing Sweet Child of Mine, and they and they go on stage that night and go, "Oh, it's the thousandth time I played, I played it. I can't be asked anymore." You get, but there's someone out there who hasn't heard you play Sweet Child of Mine, and it's yeah. their favourite yeah. song. You just got to learn the art of repetition and understand that it's that's part of the game. It's 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 finding what is different in there, and you'll know this. Again, I want to talk about riding the the low because I think that feels like it's been key for you coming into your own and finding a, a, yourself things like. But I, I always used to get asked like, "How do you do like a two month tour? You're playing the same song over and over again." And I was, my answer was always like, "Yeah, but the crowd's different every night." Yeah, and that's it. It's not the same song over and over again because there's a different a, a, a connection there, but. I don't want to keep banging on about working class because that can seem like over the top, but I really like your breakthrough on the stairs there in Broadway, um, on Broadway, because I think, again, there's a working class thing when coming into these industries that there's something in the back of your head that's like, they all actually know something I don't, and it's all a big secret, and I have to fake it, I have to pretend, I'm pretending, but... I don't actually, it's an imposter syndrome, which I think is a syndrome almost exclusive to working class people. And I love that moment of going, oh, hang on, there's not a big secret. There's not some big hidden thing. You've just got to go and tell, that's all it is. You're going and telling the story. It's as simple as that. Yeah, it's just just conditioning, Pip. It's just, uh, there is no great conspiracy about it. It's just really our conditioning and 
once once you sort of realize that and you and th- then the world can open up to you and and you understand that this it's everybody's privilege you know yeah we we come from tougher backgrounds or maybe you know there's a sense there's also that sense in within those worlds and i never really got this from my parents of you to just stay in your lane and and stop dreaming and stick to what you know mate and all that kind of stuff i think we we, i i think in my experience you 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 kind of apologize for success so i don't really know how to behave around people because i feel awkward being successful from that we don't i don't think we know how to deal with success in the same way yeah Um, but it's but it's a process i think you have to go through and ultimately you have to let go of and because it's just it just holds you back thinking things aren't for you like i remember doing like my summer of love years ago and natalie press was in that and she was talking about shakespeare and i was very very dismissive of shakespeare yeah because i i thought it was for clever people i thought it was for you know yeah posh people and yeah. you know and i didn't understand a word of it and i says oh fucking shakespeare and she went oh well that's a shame and i went what do you mean she went well you're just robbing yourself of a of a privilege there yeah. of a, a, a whole world there and i was like oh i never looked at it like that so years later when i did do shakespeare and i actually sat with somebody and i read the text it was like everything came to life and i went i could see it i can see what this means it was yeah. like a revelation. I'm going, it's just text. It's just words. If I reframe it in this context and say it in my common tongue, all this character is basically saying is, and then once you make that revelation, then then all of a sudden the world's opened up to you and, and yeah. you can perform Shakespeare. I think there's a big realisation, isn't there, that these things are, are successful for a reason. Like Again, I'm, I'm not religious, but... The Bible had some fucking great stories in. I was dismissive yeah. of religion for a long time, and then it's like, no, some of these stories are glorious. It's the same. I had exactly the same with Shakespeare, and it was a working class friend of mine in K Tempest that opened me up to that because K was mad about Shakespeare. I was like, one of the all time greats. Obviously, it was like, oh, okay, and you give it a look. Yeah. But again, speaking of kind of things are successful for a reason. How was it stepping onto? a show in the world of the biggest TV show of all time in Game of Thrones, in a huge role as well um, in House of, Dr- of, Dr- of Dragons as King Viserys t- a Targaryen. How did you balance that out, stepping on and becoming part of that? Because as I said, the most successful TV show of all time, essentially, and I think an absolutely astounding piece of story yeah. telling over its over its arcs. I exactly as you're saying, it's one that I dismissed for a long time, and then yeah. I binged. I think the first th- three seasons, and in about season three, I was like, the way that all of these different stories are weaving and are woven, and the as stupid as it sounds. The geography involved of telling these stories in this world is astounding, but that comes with pressure, right? To 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 jump into that world, I guess. Do you know? I, I never felt that pressure, and, and it, I, because I knew that it was something that I couldn't take on. It was something I could not. Uh, I, I would not be able to to deal with it in any way. I, I, and I really didn't struggle with that. I, I thought, you know, this thing is a massive piece of work. It that the world is established through the show. What the journey those actors must have gone on would have been phenomenal, life changing for them. Mm. But I, I thought on my shoulders, I cannot carry the weight of what's gone before me. It's yeah. impossible. I can't do it. I, I, I didn't even. I, I couldn't imagine it. So I just did. 
the only thing that I could do. And I played the role of King Viserys Targaryen. Yeah. And and that was it. I, I just thought I can't take I can't You've take just all gotta those things the on. Just got to tell the story. Just got to tell the story. I love it. You know, even if the if the show's a hit or not, it, it's not my problem. I, yeah. I've just got to tell the story. Yeah. I've just got to play him as faithfully and as and as honestly as I possibly can. And that's what I did. So because you can't take that on, I can't take that on my shoulders. It's not my responsibility to carry. My responsibility is to play him to my best, the best of my ability. And that's all I did. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I I, I remember when it was the cast announcements were starting to to come out and you were announced Olivia Cook, Matt Smith, Reese Ifans, really amazing cast being put together. And crucially, because I think it's one of the crucial parts of Game of Thrones, a load of people I'd never heard of. Yeah. Because again, I think that's kid. That was always a key part of it. It would have been horrible if this was just. Well, now it's a big show. Here's all the the big big, big Hollywood names. Everyone announced have been in indie movies I've loved. And as stupid yeah. as that sounds, as an important thing, it was a really important thing. So, how was it as as the cast started to come together and you all started to to figure out how you're going to tell this story? Well, I, I mean, the response to me getting offered it, because I, I didn't audition for the for the part, yeah. was a little bit like, I wouldn't say I struggled with it, but my agent was very much like, look, they haven't gone to anybody else. I said, why have they asked me to do it? <laughs> and he said, well, you know, they could have had pretty much anybody they wanted. Yeah. And I said, well, why didn't they then? You know, and it's like, well, because they've come to they you did, with it. They did, Paddy. They did. Yeah, <laughs> they did. They came to you. It's yours. Yeah. And um, once I sort of accepted that, and once I got the green light, you know, Miguel, who, who's the director of the show, who directed um, a lot of the first series as well, he just says, we did a read-through, and he said, we need to put more Paddy into this. Because, you know, read-throughs are horrible, Pip. You know, everybody's there doing their best RP, and it's yeah. an awful scenario. I mean, we, because it was like post-COVID thing, we did our read-through in a room, and it looked like Dr. Strangelove. It was just yeah, it was bizarre. Yeah, Everyone was like 10 metres apart in this. It looked like we were in a starship trying to do a read-through, and it was the most Amazing. unnatural thing. Screens and mics and all this shit. But when he said that to me, because we need to put more Paddy into it, I went, right. All right, if that's what you want, that's what you're gonna get. I love it, and it just it just gave me the license because I think as well, Pip. I don't want to digress so much, but because I wasn't trained, a lot of my early performances were improvisational, and I could yeah. do that all day. But all of a sudden, I'm being given a script, and it felt like I had handcuffs on. I'm going to now. I've got to say exactly what's on here, and it felt mm. like school. And I yeah. hadn't learned the art of of seeing the music in it. And seeing the freedom in it, so acting to me suddenly became a memory test of me remembering lines, yeah. and it was affecting my performance. So I had to learn new techniques to be able to act, and one of them was absolutely knowing the text, completely yeah. knowing it. You repetition, repetition, letting it dissolve in you. And then the more I did that, the more I found that I had more freedom. I'm like, I'm not having to think about this anymore. Now, that's stuff that comes quite naturally, you know. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's it's the beauty of it, isn't it? Like yeah. Once it's in there, that's when you find the freedom, rather than going, well, I'll learn it loosely and I'll be a bit free with it. It's like, no, once it's a second nature, yeah. that's when – it's the, the same with music, mate. It's the Absolutely, same with music. Yeah. As soon as you really know them songs, I always feel an album is finished halfway through the tour after the album has come out. 
And it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's broken my heart with every record I've ever released. It's like we released the record, then halfway through the tour, I'm like, I know it now. I know this song properly. It's changed. It's evolved. I needed to repeat yeah. it, repeat it, repeat it for, you know, a month. And yeah, exactly the same in, in, in acting, right? Yeah, it gives you freedom. And then you start to feel free of it. And I just, my only thing was I'd never learned how to really interpret a script silly as that seems you know it's pretty fundamental if you want to act but going back to the casting of it all I mean you know working with those guys with Matt Reese there's so many great casts Emma Olivia there was so many and and the young cast Millie Everybody was brilliant. Um, I, I, if I try to mention every member of the cast, now, I'm going to be here for the next half an hour. <laughs> yeah, of course. But, um, you know, Fabian, it was such a – we we one of the great things about the show was we all got on brilliantly. Fantastic. And, and we were all about the work. And, and we, we really, really enjoyed working with each other. So, yeah, to me, it was it was a really great thing working with all those people. I loved it. I had a great relationship with Matt. Reese was a. We had a great old gaff, uh, gas with them, and people thought me and Reese had worked together loads of times. We hadn't worked together at yeah. all. Yeah, but we just, you know, we just got on so well, and it, we just seemed like we were old friends or something. But um, yeah, we were really mucked in. And it's great to hear. It's great to hear the the, the love of it as well, because particularly with bigger productions, it can sometimes get to the point. I know I've been on sets where I'm there buzzing because <laughs> I can't help myself. I'm, this is It's mad to me I'm part of this world now. It's a fucking honour. But yeah. there's a lot of people who it feels like the amazing bit of art that we're making is kind of an imposition. <laughs> it's kind yeah. of ruining their day a little bit. And they're like, let's get this done. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah, great to hear. It's a when, fine line. Yeah, it's great to hear when there's a set where you are like, you're enjoying being there, but also you're enjoying the work. You're enjoying the the thing that you're creating. It's not just because again, I've equally been on those sets where everyone's getting on so well. It is kind of a bit annoying. Oh, do we have to do the actual thing now? I'm yeah, just enjoying messing about with my pals. Um, yeah, it sounds like a perfect balance there that you all g- g- got on that well. But maybe that connection was partly through the fact that you were all had this amazing thing that you were excited to work on and passionate about. But but, but, but also, Pip, aside from that, it was just like I think we all respected each other. I think we all had respect for each other's work. And and so we we all knew we were working with good people and nobody stood out above anybody else. You know, there was no hierarchy. We we were just like a company. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that was really good. That that helped it. But you've got to protect that thing. On a production like Game of Thrones, you've got to protect the thing that's precious, and that's the performance and the character. Because mm-hmm. these things can get lost in the machinery of everything. Yeah. And I think if I'm guilty of anything in the past, is just that I've allowed it to happen. Like, you have to fight for a lot as an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you really do. And And I think there was a point for me in the last decade where I've just stopped fighting for stuff. I'm going, I'm, I'm, I can't be bothered to fight for anything anymore. I'm trying to put nuance into this and life into this. These guys want to go home. They're on a schedule and all that. And I'm not holding anybody up or being a pain in the arse. I just yeah. want it to be the best it can possibly be. And I think I just got to the point with some performances and some productions where I went, oh, you know what, fuck it. If, if yeah. you don't want what I bring, then fuck it, because it's not worth fighting for. It's just making me exhausted, and yeah. it's making me ill, and yeah. it's not worth fighting for if you're not interested. So you have to protect that kind of yeah. thing. 
And Miguel went in there and dug out all the good shit that we knew we were bringing. And that's another great thing too, to know that, because there's so many times you see a performance and you go, I know, I know we did better than that. I know there was more interesting stuff than that. Yeah. But this one, they seem to have dug it out. You know, Miguel yeah. seems to have gone in and, and and found it. And you're going, thank God, because I know that it was there. Yeah. Because <laughs> we yeah. shot that scene that day. But, you know, it was just an exciting thing. I had that. See, I have a thing, Pip, as well, where I have, I've had a funny relationship with acting over the years. And that's been interpreted that people think I hate acting. I don't. It's just what we've spoken about is like it's it's made me it's made me look at the ugly side of myself. Right. I, it, it, I, it, it's been quite scary sometimes. It sounds silly. I'm yeah, not going in a boxing yeah. ring and getting knocked about. But yeah. that imposter thing was so strong that when something comes up in acting or an, or a role comes up that's challenging, it's it's makes me very very vulnerable because yeah. I have to confront all these things again and again. So yeah. I always had a bit of a, a funny relationship with it because it brings out all the doubt in me. It brings out all the demons and all the shit. I'm no good at this. I'm rubbish at this. And people's bad comments, you know, this guy's not a good actor or whatever it is. Part of my freedom is realising that I can't fulfil other people's expectations. I can only do my best. And yeah. what your aspirations for me, If that's great that you've got these fantastic aspirations and you think by now I'd be working with X, Y and Z. And all, but I'm just fucking Paddy trying to do his best. This mm. is my story and I can't take any of that on. So yeah. I love acting, but I felt guilty for years because I'd be on set with Simon Pegg and Simon would be going, um, oh, isn't this exciting? We're on the stage where they shot the uh, the scene for the Rancor monster, you know, in Return of the Jedi. And Simon loves cinema, loves yeah. acting. And he's one guy that's worked with pretty much everybody that was a, a, a kind of inspiration to him, you know? 100%. But I remember like him saying, oh, isn't it exciting when you get to set and the lights come out and they start to get the cameras out? And I felt bad because I thought, I don't feel like that at all. Right. I don't feel like I don't get that buzz of excitement. Yeah. I get a buzz when I'm waiting for Metallica to come on and I'm literally in the wings watching the stage crew take down what, you know, and check this. And I'm going, oh, I get it there. Yeah. And so I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought, well, I'm yeah. not like that. And then I realized there's nothing wrong with you, mate. You don't, this is your relationship to acting. Nobody yeah. else's. This is exclusive to you. Yeah. You don't have to love it all the time. You yeah. don't have to be that guy. Yeah, sometimes it, it asks demanding things of you. You don't have yeah. to do it, by the way. Sort off and do something else. But yeah, it challenges exactly. me in a way that sometimes frightens me. And that's okay, man. I don't have to love it. I just have to turn up and do the work. Luckily, I loved Viserys Targaryen, so, yeah, you know, it made life easier. That's a perfect situation. I want to talk a little bit more about Miguel, because I think it's a weird thing in this industry. It's been talked about a load, but film, everyone talks about the directors. TV. Television, they don't. No one talks about the directors. And one of my questions here was, it's a huge production how did you make sure you grounded yourself as an actor and grounded your performance and didn't get lost in the production? And it sounds like it was Miguel. It sounds like that note of Miguel saying, we need more Paddy, is absolutely key to that, key to that grounding. So, yeah, how is that? How is that working with someone who clearly kind of gets you and from the sounds of it, 
loves actors because not all directors do but loves actors really like cares you know no they don't they think turn up do your thing and off you go but yeah no he's i notice in me that i need to trust people Mm -hmm. you know and if i trust people i will do whatever it takes and like for example i worked with sam mendes and i trusted him so implicitly yeah working with him was transformative for me it was a massive turning point in my life working with him. I got to talk quietly because he's actually next door <laughs> doing, a, doing a screening. But it, it was, it was transformative. I trusted him. Yeah. And I had the same thing with Miguel. My relationship with Miguel was such that I absolutely trusted him. And on this, we worked with, I worked with four different directors, Miguel being one of them. But he was always the person that I went back to because what happens sometimes on things like this is that each director starts to tell their own story and not the story. And I had one director giving me notes about a character and it was too far down the line. We're too far down the line now. This isn't about your idea of King Viserys. I am now King Viserys and I will tell you how this man goes about his life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're yeah. stepping into my world now. Yeah. And I think some of that sometimes got a little bit lost along the way. Have faith in me. Yeah. I'm, I am King Viserys Targaryen I, I and I know him. I agree. That, that witnessing that exact thing on set early on was one of the breakthroughs for me as an actor as well. I was doing, I was doing a, a, a big American TV show and there was a... Like, we had to stop filming at some point because there was a bit of a clash between an actor and the director who was on f- on for that episode. And again, I'm big on respecting everyone's art. And I kind of I went outside with the actor as everyone was kind of cooling off a little bit. And he explained that they were shooting the pilot for a month. They shot episode two for almost a month. Like this, this has been a long a project. We were now on episode five or, or or six, and although it was a small thing, there was a nuance there that he was like, I know this character now, and yeah. I understand. Again, he was he was completely respectful. He was like, I understand from the director's point of view, he thinks visually if the character s- steps in this way or approaches this, the problem is that's not the character. You know, he's the director is looking at this particular scene as character A and character B. I'm looking at it as the complete character if you know what i mean and again that was a real i thought at first he was being unreasonable as soon as we went outside and talked exactly as you said there it's like no you've got to trust him he knows this character he's yeah he's all these episodes in and the directors again the way tv works the director working on episode four won't have been able to watch episode one episode two episode three necessarily it moves too quickly that's not how it works so yeah you need to trust the people who were there. <laughs> you need to trust the people who were in the story. Yeah, and that's not to say that I don't, I'm not open to notes and direction. I, I love that getting out. If someone can g- give me a note that changes it by an increment, I'll, yeah. I'll explore it. And, uh, you know, that's another thing. Miguel was great at that. But if you try and feed me nonsense, then I'll resist. You know, if, if yeah. I smell that, if I think that you're a bullshit artist, then, uh, you know, we, we, it's going to be kind of problematic. There's a difference, I think, Pip, in caring and people who are just being a pain in the arse yeah. and it's egotistical. And I think the, the now, after the few years that I spoke about, I just feel like, no, no, the, it's worth fighting for the things that you care about. Mm. And ultimately, that's what's great about Miguel because he, he saw that 
yeah. then he looked at the rushes and he looked and looked at the, the the different episodes and was like, yeah, it's all there. Yeah. It's there. And that's that's reassuring to know. It's not about being creativity, as you you'll know, Pip, it's not about being wrong or right. No. <laughs> it's got nothing no. to do with it. No. There is no wrong or right. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, well, speaking of fighting for, for what you care about, can we talk a little bit about the journeyman or about journeyman, sorry, because yeah. we've spoken privately a bit about this, and honestly, it's one of my favourite films of all time. I think it's absolutely astounding. And I want to talk about the struggles or the challenges of making it as an actor and as a director, and then talk a little about the the, the challenges of, of releasing and and, yeah. and, the, and the battle that comes there. So how was that to, to work? And it was your s- s- second feature yeah. as a director. It's about a boxer. I know boxing is very close to your heart. It's a heartbreaking story and a brutally honest story. How was the 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 process of writing it, of becoming the character, of directing? How was all of that? I think I just the the, the it began years ago with me writing a uh, a short story. Actually, well, a, a sort of synopsis come short story that I wrote, and it was about a, a fighter. Um, it was basically, first of all, it was sort of based around stories that one of my like closest and oldest friends had told me, who was a pro boxer, is the same age as I am, mm-hmm. and it was just about his life as a as a sort of semi journeyman fighter in a way, um, just how he could be plastering the walls and then get a phone call and he'd be at work and then the phone would go and it's like, what are you weighing at the minute? Can you get to Dublin tonight? You know, he'd literally yeah. go and get his passport, get on a plane, fly to Dublin, sit in a hotel, fall asleep, get a knock at one o'clock and go, you're on. Yeah. You know, and I wanted Madness. to do something about that world of, of yeah. the journeyman fighter that hadn't been seen. Because all, all we've been told is the, is, is, is the high end of it. You yeah. Know, the Rocky story, the, the, the yeah. fighting for a world championship rather than the, the, the the people along the way. Yeah, but I remember seeing a, also a documentary about Michael Watson years ago mm-hmm. and it showed his struggles. And I remember seeing him, you know, because I'd watched that fight with Chris Eubank, yeah. the rematch, and, and I remember like it having a massive impact at the time because it was on terrestrial TV. Millions of people mm-hmm. saw it. It was very much in our consciousness as a public. Because, it was the era you know, of, of Eubank and Ben and, and yeah, Collins and all and, of these guys were such a, that and division boxing, was so... Yeah, boxing then as well, Pip. You know, you'd know yeah. yourself, it, it, it potentially could make the front pages sometimes yeah, yeah, of the yeah. press, which was the big thing. It was definitely made the back page. Yeah. And that was the big, that was the, a sort of moment that was that was quite sort of monumental in people's minds. But then I remember... I don't know if it was months or a year or so after seeing a photograph of of Michael Watson mm-hmm. and him being on the pitch at Arsenal because he was an Arsenal fan and he was sat in his wheelchair and he had his like fist up and stuff and I remember looking at it going good god and 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 it and the idea was you know there was all these well wishes look Michael's battling on Michael's strong and I remember looking at that picture going what's he been through in the last year what like the, what must that guy have been through it's like yeah and then this documentary came on that told that story years later of Michael's rehabilitation, and it was a tough road. Mm. But I think that's where the beginnings of the idea came for Journeyman, was like, what happens when the crowds go away? What happens when, you know, with something severe as an injury, who is really there to look after you at the, at the end of it? Box, it's something that boxing doesn't want to look at. It's the ugly side of it, but it's yeah. a reality of it. And I thought nobody's really, in a filmic way, told that story at all. 
Um, so that was where the beginnings of it sort of came, I suppose. It's like uh, just what happens when the crowds go away and the doors close and it's just the family left to deal with this trauma. Yeah. What happens? Yeah. How how was it sh- shooting? You said, for example, on House of Dragons, you know when you've got the good, you know when you've got a good take in there, you know when the work has been done, but then it's in the hands of other people. It's different when you're the director as as well, right? The one that instantly springs to mind was how did it feel when you rapped on the day of the phone call scene? Because, again, I think that scene stands <laughs> up with any scene in cinematic history. And I'm looking away because I know you're not a fan of compliments and, 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 and praise anyway, but I think it's an astounding piece of cinema. And it blows my mind to think of you as the actor in there, but then also as the director and playing... T- two roles as such so yeah how was how were days like that to go it, that moment, it's delivered <laughs> i'm seeing yeah, it from both that, sides it's weird Pip, because like uh, there's a few things in it i mean that phone call scene that you're on about that was one take only right that wow. was uh, there's there's odd times in acting and in anything and you'd know again performing where you transcend and when i did that phone call i can honestly say i was not in my own body anymore yeah. It was one of those moments where, and I, I'm not, I'm not dressing it up or making it wanky. That's the thing that you try to touch a lot, and you, you experience it more in theatre, really, because you have the space for that to happen. Yeah. But I, I just wasn't in my body. That's the that that moment of that phone call was the purest performance I've ever done in my life. Yeah, I just wasn't aware. I was I was that guy in in that situation on that phone in that moment. Yeah, and and it. It's like you leave your body. My problem with Journeyman, I thought I had a strong story. The weird thing that happened to me, the process of making that film was that I became so absorbed in the characters mm-hmm. that I somehow failed to direct it. Right. And, and by that, I mean that I, I I stopped sort of... When I made Tyrannosaur, I wasn't in the world. I was outside, even though I'd written it, and I was able to sort of work from outside it. When I was with Journeyman, I was so far in it that I sort of neglected in a way to direct it. So when I came to the cutting room, there were shots missing. There were things missing from it. There there was stuff I was going, you didn't get that shot of you. The little things you need to do an edit. It hadn't found its groove the way that Tyrannosaur knew from the beginning what it wanted to be. It was like, I'm going to be made. This is how you're going to make me. And this is how you're going to present me to the world. Journeyman was different. I lost myself in it. And when I went to the edit suite, I was looking at the footage going, where's the fucking shots? Like where? And I was like, oh God, I just felt like I got so steeped in the characters and the story that I'd forgotten to direct it, which sounds insane. That's really interesting. It makes sense as well, though, because again, it's, a, it's, it's such an absorbing world and role that how can you be performing those scenes and then popping out and going, right, let's see what we got. Let's, is this, let's make, make, do you know what I mean? I can completely understand that. Does it does it tempt you at all? I don't know if you've got any plans to direct again. If so, would you want to direct yourself again or would you rather go back to the Tyrannosaur way of going, well, when I'm an actor, I'm an actor, and when I'm a director, I'm a director? I think that. I think... I, I think it was. I actually think I could do a better job of directing myself now. But yeah, yeah. Would, would, would I? Would I want to? There was something. There was a different joy in being off camera. Mm-hmm. You know, for Tyrannosaur, there was a different level of involvement. I loved it. It, it was something else. So I think, yeah, I, I, I do. 
I do think I would direct another film. Mm-hmm. I don't want Journeyman to be my last. Is I have a strange relationship with Journeyman. I don't know why, but it attracted a lot of darkness, and I can't. I still don't understand it now. Um, well, we spoke a little bit at the time of of release because I kind of got very much a vibe that you were having a a, a rough time, and part of that yeah. I think was around. It's one of the things that troubles me the most in this industry is I fucking adore films and the cinema. I love TV as well, but films and the cinema are the things I adore. But getting people into the cinema now, if it's not a big blockbuster, is so fucking hard. And yeah. I think you experienced that with uh, with Journeyman. Of it's, it's interesting now to know that you maybe had doubts over what you'd made because of... Of, yeah, of, of I the definitely process. did. So that probably made it even harder. I know, again, I've always said, if you make something you're proud of, it's so, so, so easy to, to not care if it's successful or not. Because yeah. you can go, right, I know it's it's what I wanted it to be. If it doesn't fit in the world, that's fine. Yeah. I made what I wanted. Whereas if you've got any doubts over that, then you're going to have that. It's going to hit harder if it's not yeah. getting the numbers you want or whatever else it may be. That's exactly it, Pip. I... I... Yeah, it's everything you described then. I, mm. I With Tyrannosaur, I couldn't give a fuck what... I, I'd made the film that I wanted to make. Yeah, I worked my arse off on it. It was a dream making that film. And yeah. I remember watching... The, the last time I watched it, I was in, uh, you know, in Soho. We watched it at the Curzon, and it was a casting crew. And I just sat there, and I was like, I could not... I knew in my heart, I was like, I could not have done any better yeah. at this point. Point. And I had a, I had a sense of uh, fulfilment with it, and that's fucking important. Yeah, you know, you you should you should be able to like your work. You yeah. should be able to feel fulfilment from it. It's allowed. Yeah, and yeah. I, I felt a massive sense of that with Tyrannosaur. I went, that is exactly the story that you wanted to tell. Yeah. Um, with Journeyman, no, I, I I felt like uh I was just in so much doubt. I just couldn't, and I, I knew I hadn't made as great a film as I set out to make in my mind. It's astounding to, to hear, mate, because as I've said, I adored it, but now I want nothing more than to see the film you wanted to make. Yeah. <laughs> because again, I love the film you made, but again, it's because you've got that comparison in your head or you've yeah. got those moments that I don't know, if you know what I mean. Me as a viewer is going, this is, I've watched it as this is exactly what you wanted to put across and I'm adoring it, whereas you're watching it with that scene isn't quite what I had in mind and that angle and that this moment and that moment aren't quite what was originally in my head. So it's a different experience. Yeah, but I think I, as an experience, if, if the art is making it, then it was an incredible experience. Yeah. It was it was brilliant. The actors were great. We, we, we had a great time making it. That yeah. was all brilliant. The journey of making the film was really great. But it's almost like afterwards, when it was there's no, no response to it, and I couldn't get it in a festival, and yeah. all or, you see, Tyrann- nobody saw Tyrannosaur at, at the cinema, right. but it yeah. was a festival darling. It was yeah. like it went yeah. to Sundance <laughs> yeah. and won yeah. awards, and yeah. then you know, unfortunately, that's how the world works because people see an award-winning film and everyone jumps on it, and it ended up winning over thirty awards worldwide yeah. for various things. I mean, it was ridiculous. Every other week, he was like, "Oh, you've won here, you've won there, you've." Won. Yeah. But but journeyman, it was like, oh, there's this. It was like you know, you're in the back garden screening it, and everyone just shut their curtains and went, "Now nah, you're all right, mate. We'll watch fucking Love Island or something." It was just there was nobody was interested in it. 
whatsoever. And I suppose that was hurtful. I understand it's, it's, it's a very, very brutal thing. And there's no privilege in a way that I did not expect doors to open for me. There wasn't, there wasn't a, a sense of entitlement about Journeyman, but I was just amazed that nobody wanted it. I went, mm. it, it can't be that fucking bad. You know, it's, it's, it's it, bad. But when I say it's not what I wanted to make, I just think it was a massive learning curve because, you know, it taught me about not wanting anything from, you shouldn't want anything from your work. You shouldn't want, I think a part of me, Pip, if I'm really honest, was saying, I'm here, here I am. I can do this, this, and this. I'm not just the man in the green coat from Dead Man's Shoes. Mm. You know, I'm not just somebody else's actor. I'm Paddy fucking Considine, and I've written, directed, and acted. And it's like everyone went, we don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, we're not bothered. And a part yeah. of me is All trying right, to mate. go, but I'm more than that. I'm more yeah. than you're fucking there, mate. I'm more than that. Yeah. You know, yeah. but hey, you shouldn't even be battling with that shit. You should just be making, telling your story. All that other stuff is just distraction. It's nonsense. Exactly. Just tell your story, create your art, fuck the outcome. You, I love you, it. you you turned into something else, you know. The, the the rock and roll left you for a minute, and you turned into somebody that wanted to be seen, that wanted success for something. And it's like you don't determine that. You just be a fucking artist and tell on, your story. On the inside of the industry, all industries of the arts, that's how it's 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 channeled. I remember that with music breaking in with stuff that we didn't expect anyone to hear and then getting in the charts and then suddenly going, oh, how do I get higher in the charts? Oh, how do I compete yeah. compete with this person? And then I had to have a moment of going, oh, actually, no, fuck. The reason it worked originally was because we wrote it, I wrote my stuff in my bedroom at my mum's house. You know, no, I didn't yeah. expect the world to hear it. So all of a sudden... I'm going, well, we got in the charts with that, or we got on Radio 1 or whatever. How do we get on again? It's like, no, who gives a fuck? Just make your shit and But that's what attracted people to you, was the way that you made it, the way that you went about it and what you presented. That's what attracted people. And then we get this thing where we go, well, we need to change that now. There's suddenly all this other anxiety that we need to perform in a different... well, Well, this thing you've created needs to perform better. Yeah, and and it's just a trap. It's just one of those things that traps you. It's like no, I, I've just got to do what I've got to do. Well, I want to talk about m- music, but before we get to that, I just when you were saying about sitting in the Curzon and watching the cast and crew screening of of Tyrannosaur, the the kind of the pride you felt. How's it been watching? Olivia Coleman get adored by the world because I I worked <laughs> with her recently on a BBC thing and I think she's astounding. But I think. Tyrannosaur was her moment of like Kathy Burke in Nil by Mouth. Kathy well, Burke in Nil by Mouth was the bit to go, oh, this is what Kathy's capable of. And Tyrannosaur feels like that with Olivia, who's then gone on to win Oscars and everyone realised yeah. how great she is. But prior to that, I don't think people knew the dramatic chop she well, had, you know, necessarily. But, but also, Pip, she didn't know. She yeah. didn't know, you know. Yeah. And, and, and I'm always honest about Olivia because as much as that's the revelation to the world... Believe you me, that was a that was a revelation to me too. I was yeah. witness to that journey, and I lit the fire. I'm not. Yeah. I, I I wouldn't. I don't want credit for anything, but I mean, in terms of what Tyrannosaur was, yeah. You know, I lit a fire, and she became a great actor through that process, and I got to witness it. Yeah. And there's nothing greater than that to see true transformation the way that I witnessed it. Yeah. It was a gift. It was yeah. an absolute gift. And man, my instincts were right. Yeah, you know, 
And I didn't have any I didn't have any proof that she could go to those places. She didn't know she could go to those places. She'd tell you that now, but she yeah. didn't. But yeah. we worked on it. We worked hard at pulling it out. Yeah. And once it was unleashed, well, you, you don't put that you can't you can't put it back in the box again now, no. you know. No. So it was I thought it was a beautiful thing to witness. I was I'm so grateful for it that and I'm grateful that she allowed me and trusted me to orchestrate where we got to. Yeah. It was like yeah. a fighter and a and a trainer the relationship. It was complete trust. And Olivia's one thing, I just don't want to talk about transport and not credit how absolutely unbelievable uh, Peter Mullen is in that film. Absolutely astounding. He's the heart of the film. Uh, I mean, going back to her as well, I think when we made the movie, I was very much like, I wish to God I'd have written down on an envelope and handed it to her and gone, open that in 10 years' time. Because, you know, you could predict where it was going to go. And me and Peter talked about that on set. Yeah, we actually had a conversation, and uh, we should have took a, we should have put a few grand on on <laughs> on, on where she would end up. It just seemed like a natural progression, but she, 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 you know, it was a journey for her. You know, after the first week, I thought I'd made a mistake in casting. When I was actually casting the role, there was nobody else. It was her. And when I was talking to finances at the time, she'd made Dog All Together with me, the short film. Yeah. Well, who's going to play the lead? And I said, Olivia. And they were like, well, how do you know she can do that role? I said, I, I don't. Yeah. But, you know, something something either high within me or something within me was like, but she is the one. Yeah. And it's none of my fucking business. Yeah. You know, whatever spoke through me that particular day when I met her was like, she is the one and that's it. So all I had was my faith in my instincts. And, but I knew that she had the will to go to those depths. The privilege was being allowed to take her there and, and the trust that she had in me. It was unique. It was, yeah. and it was, it was brilliant. I mean, yeah. it was one of the greatest things I've uh, experiences I've ever had. But, you know, people won't admit that they were, were suggesting other actresses to me. Yeah. You know, and they were trying to th- throw other people at me. And I was going, no, no, no. And the beauty of Olivia was in that role as that character was that she was a blank canvas. Yeah. She, nobody, nobody knew yeah. what they were about to see and nobody knew what she was capable of. Bring him to me now and I'll tell them they're a liar. Yeah, yeah. Because she didn't it. even know. I love it. So well, it was yeah. great. But, but just to say, Pip, the Kathy Burke thing, really, really important. The yeah. Neil by Mouth thing. There wouldn't be a Tyrannosaur without Neil by Mouth. Yeah. I, I went to watch that film and I know Gary a bit now, you know. Mm-hmm. I've got to know him a little bit over the years. And I wrote Dog All Together. He was the first person that read it. When I wrote Tyrannosaur, he was the first person to read it. And his only note to me was, don't change a fucking thing. That was his only note. And I went, all right, I won't. No problem. But that was a big one for me, seeing Neil by Mouth, Duke York Cinema Brighton. And I watched it and I went, this is about my life. It wasn't about my life specifically, but it's the power of film to talk to people, to speak to people and going, that's my sister. That's my mother. That's my father it's not but i understand the nature of this world yeah and nil by mouth gave me the license to years later make tyrannosaur because it gave me the license to tell my own story yeah and that was the the importance of it and of course if you remember kathy at the time she was harry enfield's sidekick yeah. We'd seen her in dramas, but she was mostly known for Wayne Etter and things like that. Hundred percent, yeah. And, and and being a comedy actress, uh, uh, similarities in a way to 
to to Olivia. Yeah. And, and, and Kathy at the time, that performance of hers was an absolute revelation. I mean, it, it was just 100%. mind-blowing what it's she astounding. did. And she's still one of the greatest. I, yeah. I love her to bits. I completely agree. And, um, well, uh, I mean, we're running out of time com- completely, so let's just get a little bit of talking about the journey of riding of the low because it feels like it's been an amazing few years and the joy I get of watching you posting photos from photo shoots, photos from festivals, from live shows. (laughs) How key is that to have your music in your life to to balance everything out? Well, I've been like making music since I was a teenager, Pip. And I've been in bands since I was like 16 um, playing drums and things like that. so it's all the first thing we ever did was playing music yeah so it's just something I've always done and always loved but I didn't start writing songs until I was in my late 20s yeah. and um, it's just something that I do it's just something that I love to me it's as valid as the films I make to me <laughs> sometimes it, it, it's more valid you know yeah. um, I, I just I just love it I, I love writing songs I love performing and we just put our third album out but it's the first album that, funnily enough, that we've made together in a studio. And right. we're only just learning how to be a be a band in that way. The other first two albums weren't really made as a band. You know, yeah. they were made, we recorded the Nuts and Bolts and then they were, the, the, you know, the, the stuff was put on elsewhere. But, um, you know, things are, things are going really well. We've, we've done some really good shows this year. We did Glastonbury the other week. We, we, we look like we're just about to, to sign with management and you know looked for a new album to come out in the spring next year and so it's i find it really exciting the hardest thing is is it's a strange thing i don't know if it's just this country or what we spoke about earlier the mentality of people is that you know it's it they see it as some sort of vanity project or some some gimmick and you go it's just music i I have as much right to make music as anybody else i think people obsess over whatever point at which they got on on the train um and and again i've had this with moving into acting and script writing and all these other things is every message is about when are you coming back to music and this and that but people don't know that prior to music i was trying to make short films i was writing scripts i was trying to act and then i was doing graffiti and street art and then there was a point where i was doing music that happens to be the point where m- m- most people boarded the train. Now we're somewhere else. It's it's hard for people to comprehend. And I think it's the exact in reverse for you. You've always done music, but people just didn't know about it. And now yeah. they're like, oh, what are you doing a, m- a music for all of a sudden? It's like, no, this isn't all of it's a sudden. All, it's You're, been there for years. Yeah, it's always you been just there. didn't know. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll round things up then by asking what's ahead, I guess. Acting, writing, directing, what's what's in your crosshairs, Paddy? Well, at the minute, I mean, you know, I, I, I my wife always tells me off for saying there's nothing on the horizon, but I don't have any acting at work at the minute coming yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, we, we've, we're working on a new EP at the minute that we're recording. We've gone back to some older tracks that just weren't recorded very well and, yeah. you know, giving them a bit of a spruce up. And there's a, we're putting an EP out in a few weeks. They'll have some new stuff on it as well. And then we, we, I guess we'll be doing some more shows because we never properly toured the album. And then we'll be in the studio looking to get an album out next spring. So a lot of it at the minute is just music-based, yeah. you know, as we speak, which... Uh, you know, it's not fortuitous in, in in any financial way because it's, 
Yeah. <laughs> we'll get about 300, 300 quid a gig for yeah. riding the low, you know. But there's something about that as well, Pip. You know, I'm sitting in the hotel now in the Soho Hotel and all this is laid on and it's a big one and it's a HBO thing. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago, we were rocking up to Glastonbury in a van, you know, sleeping in the back of a fucking van, waking up with a bad back and it, it puts you right back. You know, there's no privileges laid on for the band. It's just like, fuck, you know, this is odd. <laughs> I love it. There's, there's, before we go, there's two things I want to tell you because I think they relate to everything we've talked about on acting journeys, on directing journeys. The two things that I think you'll enjoy about or knowing about the record label I used to run, but I've kind of cl- closed it down now. Our slogan was, we may not be for you and that's fine. And again, I think that's a key mentality. And with every album I ever released of any artist, we celebrated when the artwork was submitted and the album went to press. We didn't celebrate on the day of release or on the day of finding out the chart position or the day of anything else. Once we had completed that piece of art, that was when we celebrated because that's the fucking thing that counts everything after that a a lovely surprise and bonus but that was the moment to celebrate rather than as you said before when you're distracted by numbers or sales or radio or turnouts or box office or whatever else it may be and i think it's the key way to do things man it's it's and it's easy to get drawn away from that in all these industries yeah but the important thing i think is just to make sure you find your way back because it's all right. It's okay. You know, I, I, I thought I was, you know, the difficult second album, you know, right, with regards to Journeyman. And I'm yeah. like, oh, no, 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 no. No, because my first one was, you know, the zone that I was in making that, it, it, you know, it made itself and this will yeah. be the same. And it's not. It's not the same. Yeah. It's, 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 different, it's a different beast. And it's okay. Just come back. Just come yeah. back. That's all right. Well, I'm going to go peak radio now and say i'm glad you found your way back to the distraction pieces podcast paddy um it's been a joy catching up mate it's always a pleasure um and i can't wait to see see house of dragon and yeah everything else that's to come pip you're a good man you're one of the best i love it you are you really are a good soul thank you mate i'm gonna i'll press stop there You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Paddy. I told you it was a good one. I told you it was a good one. Dig into the back catalogue. And speaking of back catalogues, we're building up our our Series 1 back catalogue of my new podcast, Tell Me About It with Scroobius Pip. So go and check that out on all podcast platforms now. And I'll be back next week with another amazing returning guest. I've had three weeks in a row, basically, we're going to have here, with previous absolute highlight episodes coming back years and years on. So, yeah, I'm excited to get this one to you as well. So, until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.